welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I was, sit, I was in worship and I was like, I really don't want to preach. Like, I don't. I don't want to even speak this morning. Like, that was just what, and I, I actually feel that a lot of times, just to be honest with you, and I do it because I feel like I'm supposed to do it. There's times when my flesh doesn't want to do it. It's like my spirit. I know I, know I have to do it, right? And the, the part of the reason is because, like, there's really no point of speaking unless people are actually receiving. Like, have you ever talked to somebody that you feel like is just not listening? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you're not listening. I'm just, I'm just processing my, probably my dangerous thoughts as a pastor. Confessions of a pastor. Like, I really don't want to plant seed in hard soil. Right? Who does? Let's just be honest. Can we just pray a prayer this morning? All of us into some come in agreement. Even if you're a guest with us, we welcome you. We're hoping, happy that you're here and, and hope that you have an amazing experience. Just put your hand on your heart. Say, God, soften the soil. Soften the soil. It's a lot easier to plant a seed if the soil's soft. If it's tilled, if it's, you know, some of that, that, that hard surface of the soil is gone. God, soften the soil this morning. Can you, can you do that in all of us? Can we agree? Because if the soil is soft in your heart, man, God can do amazing things. Like, the only difference between people that produce 30, 60, and 100-fold are people that have a really receptive heart and take action. Those that produce 100-fold are those that take hard action. I don't believe that, I believe that the capacity in the area of producing the maximum of what God has for us, a hundredfold, which is the maximum, is in all of us. I don't believe that some people are just destined to produce 30-fold. That's to say that, that like God has only, or God has only enabled you to produce a portion of what you could. That's just not the nature of God. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, you have the capacity to produce the maximum potential and blessing in your life. Do you believe that? I uh, had a dream last night. It's funny, you get, you know, prophetic people, you have dreams. This is how God speaks. I had a dream last night, and uh, it was really powerful. It was a powerful dream, and I won't go through the whole dream, but I was trying to kill this monster in the dream, and I could not find a sharp enough knife anywhere. Like, nobody had a sharp enough knife. Like, like I didn't have a knife. I had to, like, get a knife from somebody. I couldn't do I tried to get scissors. I think it was a sword. Like, nothing was sharp enough. I knew that this, whatever I had, the weapon had to be so sharp, I had to be able to pierce the skin. 
this monster had really thick, thick skin. And I was getting frustrated in the dream. And I was sharing this in our pre-experience prayer, which I would encourage you to come. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing time of just preparing for the experience every Sunday. It's at 8.50. Come out. We start at, right at 9, so 8.50. Show up at 8.50. And I remember in this, this dream, I was just thinking, like, I can't fight this thing the way that humans fight. I can't do, like, I can't conquer this thing the way that humans conquer. Like, I have to go about it a different way. And if you understand the scripture, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says, our weapons are not carnal. They're not human-oriented. But they're mighty through God to pull down every stronghold, to pull down every monster in your life. Are the way that we fight and win in the spirit is not the way that we win a war with our hands. Very different. We don't have physical armor. We have spiritual armor. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes about the spiritual armor that we have. We don't wage war like other people do to get a victory. We wage war in the spirit to pull down the strongholds that nobody can see. But it takes a maturity to do that, and I, it takes a word to do that. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says it, that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than any human weapon. The word of God is the weapon that we need to take down the things, the monsters that are in our life. And there are things in your life, in all of our lives, that we have to come to the end of ourselves to find the beginning of God and to realize that if we're going to win this against this thing, whatever it is, it's going to be in God, through Him. You can do all the things, you can do all the disciplines, you can do all the, the practical things, you can do the budgeting, and you can do the, the logical stuff, and you can do all the study, and that's great, you do your part. But at the end of the day, there are some monsters that you will not be able to pierce unless you have his word. Unless you know how to fight in the spirit. There are some things you just won't win against. And there are things that are opposing you right now that you won't win against if you continue to fight the way you're fighting. And I, 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 I believe this as a word this morning that God wants us to tear down some really big monsters in the spirit in this season. And one of them is greed. And that's a big one. In fact, I would say it's the biggest one. It was literally in the very core nature of Lucifer himself, even before he fell as an angel. The very core of who he was wanting to be something and get something that was never supposed to be his. Wanting to be like the Most High is what caused him to fall. A greed that was in his heart. This monster is massive. And I just believe in the spirit. There are so many of us in this room. It's when it comes to finances, it's a big monster. It's a massive monster. I love that story. You saw the story of Edna. I don't know if Edna's in the room right now. Is she in the room? In the back. Amazing story. Amazing testimony. You see, like, I could teach that. What you just shared, I have taught that for years. But until somebody actually takes it and tries it 
and trust God with it, they'll never see the breakthrough. They'll never see that monster come down because it's a monster. It's the fear of if I do this, I'm not going to have enough. And, and, and I know everybody's on a journey. I would love to be at a place in a community, even when we were bigger and we had like hundreds and hundreds of people back in the day, to see like everybody trusting God this way. The same way that I would love everybody to be able to recognize the voice of God for their lives because if they can, man, it's going to change the game for their careers, their families, their relationships. But I know that everybody's on a different journey. But once somebody gets it, it changes the game. Once somebody practices what God is leading them to and towards, it changes the game. And this is the word in action. This is the this is what we need, Ephesians 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any human sword. It's a weapon. What you have now, Edna, is a weapon. To say, I know God's word is true. I have tested him in it, and I'm living it. I know his word is true. And you know that Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That every time you tell, one of, the, one of the, the core defining explanations of that scripture, there are many things, of course, every prophetic word at the core of it is the nature of who Jesus is. But every time you testify to who Jesus is to you now, you prophesy the very same thing to somebody else. If it happened to me, it can happen to you. If it happened to me, it can happen to you. If you share a testimony of you've been healed of cancer, you're testifying to the nature of who Jesus is as healer. You prophesy that very same thing to somebody else. If it happened to me, if he can heal me, he can heal you. If he can do it in my finances, he can do it in your finances. But it's a, it's a big one. It's a big one. I, I remember this story, and I'm really going off my notes. I have 14 pages of notes this morning. This is why I didn't want to speak. I have 14 pages of notes. You don't want to hear me preach for 14 pages. Someone said maybe. Who said maybe? You're my best friend. Wendy's my best friend today. I remember the story of this, like, this individual from Singapore who I believe lived in Indonesia at the time, and he was like a struggling pastor, like just I think he had one or two children. Every Christmas time, somebody would hand him a book on prosperity. That's like a swear word in the church for most people. I mean, you can try poverty if you want to, but prosperity is always better on the other side, okay? Some of you hear, oh, he's a prosperity gospel preacher. Well, no, I'm not a poverty gospel preacher. <laughs> this just redefined prosperity. You can be prosperous in your relationships, prosperous in your health. Do you want poverty in your health? Poverty in your relationships? No. So you're a prosperity preacher too, okay? <laughs> and this guy, he, 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 you know, he was just struggling, and he, he was just in a, in a really down place. But for years, every single Christmas, somebody would give him a book on prosperity. He wouldn't open the book, and he would throw it in the trash, He's like, this is not God. Like, God doesn't want me to be prosperous. God wants me to suffer. Barely have enough to feed my family. This is God's will. You can take a vow of poverty. 
Like, you can do that, and, and I, I believe there are, in some cases, depending on where you live, like, but, what, like, define, poverty is a mindset in the end. Poverty and prosperity have nothing to do with what you have or don't have, just so we all are clear. Poverty is a mindset. Prosperity is a mindset. You can appear like you have nothing and actually have more than anybody else. So it's not about what you have or don't have. So let's not misconstrue the word or even what I'm saying. This guy eventually came to the end of himself. He said, I'm done. I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of suffering. I'm sick of barely making it. He decided for the next, I think it was the next two years, I am going to read and study everything in the Bible on prosperity, wealth, money, and I'm going to study for two years, eight hours a day. He would study every single day for two years. Came out of his room one day, told, walked into his wife, walked into where his wife was, said, honey, I got it. I get it. From that point on, everything in his life changed. He now consults for some of the biggest banks in Asia. As a spiritual consultant to some of the biggest banks in Asia. And like his whole world was flipped upside down. I say that to say this. When you apply the word in your life, it is like that sharp knife that pierces the skin of the very monster that's holding you back. The very thing that's holding you down. There are some things you just can't break through in unless you get into the word. And you study and you break through, and you pray, and you invite God into your process. There are some things you will just never break through in. Are you with me this morning? And I believe some of this stuff for you this morning, like whether it's financial, whether it's healing, whether whatever it is in your life, there are some things that you're struggling right now and pushing up against that you will not break through in unless you invite God into the process. You can do all the disciplines. You can do all the budgeting. You can do all the logical stuff. Go ahead and do that. But don't do that at the expense of the other. Don't sacrifice your, the eternal element of your relationship with God at the expense of just doing the logical thing, the temporal thing. Because there are some battles you just won't win. I remember years ago I was at a restaurant and I, and I walked into this restaurant. I hadn't seen this guy. This guy from high school was there that I hadn't seen in years. Like I just, and I was surprised I even recognized him. And I, I ran into him. He was one of the managers at the, this, this really nice restaurant. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? Like it's been so long. I don't think he, first, I don't, I, I barely recognize him. Uh, I don't even know if he recognized me in the beginning. But like, hey, man, how you doing? And we connected. And he's like, his, the first words that came out of his mouth, I'm doing great. I'm a spiritual millionaire. And I'm like, what? Like it actually threw me off. And like, what do, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm doing what I love, man. I'm like, wow, that's deep. Like, it really hit me. Like, I, I'm doing what I love. Like, I, I'm, I'm doing it. And I, I, I think I was, I remember after this, this was years ago, I remember I was pondering this experience, like, like after this process, and, uh, and I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm destined to be like a spirit, I, I think, like, what's the top level? Like, billionaire is like the top. No one's trillionaire yet. So I'm like, I'm destined to be a spiritual billionaire. I actually bought the domain. That's how serious I was about it. I'm destined to be a spiritual billionaire. To know my worth so much, to realize that I am so priced right, 
Like the price is right on me. Like God put a, his price tag on me. He paid the price. He ransomed me. He paid the price with his blood. Like I'm worth a billion bucks. Because Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, live worthy of your calling. Live according to the matched value that I've priced you at. And so I started to really dig into this, like this thought, like I'm not a spiritual millionaire, I'm a spiritual billionaire. How does this, trans- how does this translate in my life? Well, seek first the kingdom, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom and these things will be added unto you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your love, fill your lives. Now that word richly, let his word richly or be in all its richness fill your lives. You know what that actually means? It actually means an abundance of prosperity, affluence, extravagant lavishness, extreme wealth. Now, I'm not saying, once again, don't hear me say I'm up here talking about, it's all about being rich, okay? I'm just saying that it's God's design and desire to bless you in every way. Your health, your wealth, your relationships, everything. It's his nature. It's who he is. He does not design you or he does not want you to suffer. Now, you will suffer because you live in a world of suffering. And he will be your redeemer, and he will be your back, and he got, he's got your back, and he will put, uh, turn all things that are sucky into something good. 100%. He's all about that. You will suffer, though. But his design and his heart for you is that you would prosper in all things. You'd prosper in all things. It's this, his desire to do this. I was thinking about, man, if I can get, if I can keep my desires right, I don't care about the earthly riches. I just want the spiritual ones. If I can keep my priorities right, I'll be that spiritual billionaire. I'm not saying physical billionaire. I want to be a spiritual billionaire. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have. I'm just so alive in him. Just like that guy in the restaurant didn't even believe in God. In fact, he was a former Jehovah Witness that, like, peaced out on, Jehovah, on the Jehovah Witnesses. He's like, I'm not, I'm not for this. And, and he, he literally has this language that I'm like, man, we should, as believers, have this language. We are spiritual billionaires because we have the richest person in the room within us all the time. His name is Jesus Christ. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills. Like Josh said, he's got the streets paved with gold. I mean, he is heaven. He embodies all of heaven. It's his domain. Let me read Luke chapter 12. Let's see where we get here with this. Like I said, I don't really want to preach today. Is that bad? Is that like a bad confession? Like you came to church and the pastor doesn't want to speak? Because there's just so much. And I'm like, God, how, what, what do you want to do this morning? What can I unpack this morning that really is practical for them? Push through the hard heart. Push through the hard stuff. Get to the soft soil. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Let's go there really quick. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 38. This is a, an amazing story. It's a parable, actually. Jesus talking and he's sharing. Parable really is a, is, is a I always liken it to like a, a treasure map that has a treasure on it, but only those that really want to seek out the treasure will find the treasure. But you got to look and you got to dig 
That's why he spoke in parables because the ones like the disciples who pulled them aside privately would really only get the revelation. He spoke to parables to the masses, but only the ones that were really hungry understood the parables that would pursue him. There's a mystery on the inside of every parable that Jesus preached or taught or shared. It says in verse 3 of chapter 12 of Luke, and someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such a thing as that? Then he said, beware, listen to this, guard against every kind of greed. Not guard against greed, guard against every kind of greed. There are many different kinds of greed. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Isn't this totally countercultural? Like everything that you see on social media, Instagram, billboards, commercials, it's all about keeping up with the Joneses. Buy this new thing, get this new thing, inject this, do this. Like it's all about keeping up with the neighbor or or just status, social status, right? Like I heard this this statement recently about I don't know where it was. I think I was reading it in a in a book and how men will often try to show their social status by the car they drive. And I'm like, that's just totally not me. I've like I've never really had nice cars. I'm like, I would like a nice car. Like, not gonna lie. Who wants a nice car? Like, listen, let me just tell you, like, I drive two, like, over 11, 12-year-old cars that are rusting out. One of them I couldn't even get out of in the parking lot this morning. I had to go through the freaking passenger door. It drives me nuts. My door will just lock all of a sudden, and I can't get out and can't get in. So I had to, like, crawl over my, anyways, it's like it fit my message so well this morning because actually I was actually talking about this. I'm like, it actually happened. Thank you, God. Like, I become the message. Couldn't get out of my car this morning. What's that? Yeah, when I become the message, exactly. But I want to I I, I say this as an encouragement, and it's actually my subject this morning. Write this down. Guard your generosity. Because the only way you guard against every kind of greed is to guard your generosity. And don't let greed lead, because greed has a really slimy way of leading our lives. It gets in, and we don't realize it's leading. I would venture to say that at some level, greed is, touched, is touching and is tu- has touched every, at one point in our life, every area of our life. Time, the use of our skills, our gifts, our money, how we perceive God and money, our careers, like so much of what drives us, we don't realize it, is just to get more. And getting more is not bad. Here's the thing. It's not bad to get more, but it's why do you want to get more? Like if God could come in and just fix the motivation, I guarantee you we'd all be billionaires in the room, like supernaturally. But God knows that some people who become billionaires, it will destroy their lives That's why people who win the lottery often statistically don't make it. Because big blessing like that falling on bad foundation ruins the whole building. The building was structured on a bad, funky foundation. The pressure comes, the building collapses because the foundation sucked all the time, the whole time. 
Because money only magnifies who you already are. It doesn't make you anybody different. It magnifies the real version of you. It magnifies the cracks. It magnifies the dysfunction. magnifies everything. That's why one of the, statistically, one of the biggest reasons why people divorce is because of money stuff. It's not adultery. It's money stuff. Because it's actually a God. The worship of money is actually a God. Jesus addressed it in Matthew 6, verse 24. You either love God or love the other. You can't serve both. He calls greed or the love of money, the love of mammon, the worship of mammon, a God. And he compares it to the love of God himself. You'll either love me or you'll love the money. Right? And I always say this, like, at the table, at the Last Supper, who was sitting on both sides of Jesus? John, who was called the Jesus, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, representing the love of God, and on the other side was Judas, who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because at every table of your life, you will always wrestle with the love of God and the love of money. And you're always in the middle, and you've got to pick which side are you going to go towards. The Judas side or the John side? Guard your generosity. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, in the message translation says this. Speaking to the people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. The least bit of greed. Like, watch that heart. Watch that greed. I believe it's a monster that can really only be dealt with by the word. Love is not defined by what you have even when you have a lot. I love how it words this here because it's, you can be greedy and have little, and you can be greedy and have a lot. You know what happened in the wilderness for 40 years when they were being fed manna? Some of the people got greedy, gathered too much manna, and the next morning they were full of worms and maggots. The greed was magnified even when people didn't have a lot. Some people think, well, it's always the rich that are greedy. No, 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 you're wrong. I know just as many poor, struggling people that are so stingy and greedy as I do rich people. It has nothing to do with what you have. Greed has nothing to do with what you own or what you have. It has to do with motivation. Every single day of the week, don't let greed lead. Let's move on in the passage. I want to continue on this story. Are you with me? Are you okay? I know, like, I'm not even going to hit, like, a fraction of this this morning. So I don't even know how this is going to go, how this is going to end. But I want to read the story for you. Let the Holy Spirit do the work as I just read and teach a little bit. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 12. Then he told them a story. So now he's continuing on. Beware. He's like, guard your heart against every kind of greed. Guard your heart. I'm saying guard your generosity. That's the antidote. He continues on. Now he gives them a parable, a story to go by. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Obviously, he's blessed. He's got a lot, a lot of abundance. Then he said to himself, or sorry, then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back, this is the how I say it, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Retire. Eat. Play golf. Drink. And be merry. So he's thinking in his mind. He's like, I'm just going to look back, and I'm going to look back at all my wealth, even though I probably have no relationships and feel absolutely spiritually empty. I'm going to look back acknowledging myself of what I've done myself. 
And then God says this in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. So aggressive, like, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? I know people, and I've talked to people, like I just, you know, I have one person I just talked to not too long ago about this who's worked hard all their lives and they have no relationship and no kids and I asked them the question, what are you going to do with all your money? And they're like, I don't know. You've just, you've made career everything and you're empty. Like that's really sad. Everything you've done has been to feed yourself. What have you done to feed others? This is generosity. If you just feed the greed, guess who's going to lead? The greed. If you just feed greed, guess who the greed's going to turn into eventually? A monster. If you don't guard the generosity and continue being generous, even when you don't have a lot, you won't break through. It's funny because I was thinking of this. Like, I, you know, we shared Edna's story. and I, I had a conversation just this week with a business guy in our city, doesn't go to our church. I, did, I wasn't even meeting him with, with him to talk about this, and somehow it came up about the tithe. Tithe meaning 10% of the income. It came up. And he just started telling me the story. I, I, I didn't even, it was not even part of our conversation. I don't even know how it came up. He's like, yeah, I started tithing, he said to me. He's like, in 2020, I think it was 2021 or 2022, not too long ago. He's like, I always gave and gave sporadically and you know, relatively successful guy. But I just started like a year ago or a year, a bit a year and a half ago. And he's like, it's changed everything in our family's finances. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it, it's honestly it revolutionized our life. It's like absolutely revolutionary. And so as we were talking, I was just kind of sharing, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. You know, like, of course, I've been, te- uh, like, we believe this. We've experienced this. We know this to be true about our own lives, and once again, it's not about what you get from it. Like Edna said, it's about just trusting in God. I said to him, I said, I, if, if my tithe just only goes, if I can worship God through my tithe, my 10%, and just say, God, like, I don't care about, like, all the stuff. I don't care about material possessions. I just want my kids to serve you and know you. My tithe wins to me. Like, that's, that's, that's all that matters to me in the end. My kids know you. Like, I, I don't care about anything else. Like, I'll drive the... Well, I don't want to drive a 15-year-old car. I don't want to drive a 20-year-old car. But I'll, I'll, I'll drive whatever car, if that means, you know, because I could take my tithe, let me just tell you, and buy a nice car. I'm just saying that, like, I, I will sacrifice one value for another, a better value or a worse value, a lesser value for a superior one. And that's to honor God with my tithe, my first fruit and offering. And so we were talking, and he's like, yeah, it's transformed my life. It's changed my business. It's changed, like, the opportunity. Like, it's like we've broken through in a realm that we never thought. And so we're so excited every week to tithe and give. And so somehow it came up. I'm like, well, interesting. It's like we were talking. I said, you know, several years ago, you know, I, I, I told him, I said, like, I, at the end of the year, had always given well over 10% because we give offerings, right? So you give your tithe, and we give offerings. An offering is above and beyond a tithe, that's where we hit, start to move into generosity because you can't give something that's God's. You return it back to him. It's, you're not giving a tithe just so we all know. We don't give a tithe. We return it back to him. We give an offering. Offering is sacrificial. It's giving. It's gener- generous. Tithe is just, it's his. He's given me 90% to work with, and I'll work with that. I'll work with that. 
And I was telling him, I'm like, you know, we'd always give well, well over just under 20% of our income every year. And I'm like, our goal is to get bigger and bigger as much as we can, as we grow our finances to give more and more. But I said to him, I said, at the end of the year, I would see this, and I'm like, yeah, it's well over 10%. It's, it's, this is amazing. I'm encouraging. I'm not trying to boast here, by the way. I'm just, I'm trying to encourage you right now, okay? So don't hear this as like, I, this is what I do. But I said to him, I said, years ago, like maybe, I don't know, it was maybe seven years ago, I don't remember when it was, I started to tithe off of my gross every single time I got money versus my net. And for some reason, I'd never done that before. I'm like, well, at the end of the year, it all equals up. It's like way past the gross. But I'm like, I started to tithe off my gross every single paycheck. And I'm telling you, I saw a total shift in my, my, my world. I can't explain to you other than the fact that it's so holy that I said to God, government does not get the first pick. Taxes do not get the first pick. You do. Then I'll pay everything else. And I shifted into that. I'm telling you, it shifted my whole world. It shifted my trust. It shifted my faith. And I stopped trying to justify it. Well, at the end of the year, it all equals up. No, no. I just started doing it off the gross every single week. And it changed the game. And I say that to say is that when you start to practice this stuff, you literally poke at this greed in our lives, in your life. Because the only way you poke out greed, the only way you kill greed in your life is to starve it out by making sure that those little nuances of greed aren't in there. Because I know for me, tithing off of my net was a lot easier than tithing off of my gross. And I would justify it by the end of the year. But I'm like, God had to get a hold of my heart and make me realize, no, 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 the taxes and government do not get first pick. I do. Give the taxes and the government your lazy leftovers. Give me your first choice changed the game in my mindset. And I, I, heard, I, I told this guy the story of my testimony of this. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so convicted right now. He's like, oh my gosh, I give off my net. I give off my net. You know what he told me? He's like, we left the meeting. He's like, I felt the presence of God. He left the meeting. He texted me. He's like, Sean, I felt the presence of God so much in that conversation. I pulled over on the side of the road and on my laptop gave my tithe off of my gross to my church. I'm like, that's awesome, man. Now watch what God does. It's awesome. Like, I love hearing when people respond to the word, and then they see the breakthrough. To me, that is like the biggest win. If you encourage somebody to go pray, and they go and pray, and they see the breakthrough, wouldn't you be encouraged? It's the power of testimony. Let me continue this story. I'm not even going to get into point one, just so we're all clear here. But are you Okay. I'm just moving with what I feel is wisdom right now in the room. And I'm kind of just feeling out the room. I'm kind of moving with where I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to move. So this rich man has a fertile farm. He's produced fine crops. He's going to build bigger barns. He's going to sit back. He's going to look. Look what I've done. God said you're going to die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? 21, verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And the premise of that statement really is this, is that a rich relationship with God is reflected in our generosity towards others. The rebuke was this. The rebuke was this. You have stored up all this in these barns. Now you're turning them down, building bigger ones. 
let me just tell you what rich relationship looks like, it's always reflected in a life of generosity. But you've not been generous with what you've been given. You have hoarded it and you have withheld it. And therefore, this is why it's not going to be used for anything. It's going to die with you. It won't even go to anybody. It will be useless because you did not steward it while you were alive. Because a rich relationship with God is reflected, like I said, in our generosity towards others. The message translation says that same verse like this. This is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. When everything you do in your career, your work is all about self, and it doesn't have a missional, generous vision behind it, you are doing it for self. And that's not the kingdom way that God has designed you to be. I mean, of course, if you're not a believer, then that, yeah, I get it. Like, you're not on that path. But if you are walking with Jesus in relationship, everything you do, when it's rightly motivated, makes room for God's resource to follow. You're hearing this this morning. Verse 22, let's continue on. I want to keep reading this passage. I just love it. I want you to go home at least with absorbing this story. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you, and you probably heard this verse before, this passage, not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or eat or, or, or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. God feeds them. You are far more valuable to him than any birds. Verse 25, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And he continues on. He talks about the flowers. I care more about you than I do the flowers, and yet the flowers are wonderfully made. And then he says this. He rebukes the, he rebukes the, the, uh, the rich man. He says, why do you have so little faith? Because faith or the lifestyle of faith always looks like generosity. The, 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 the step in the walk of faith is always reflected by your ability to be generous in life. I'm not just talking about finances. In any area, your time, your skills, how you steward what God's given you. Generosity is a reflection of faith. He says, why do you have so little faith? Why are you concerned about what to eat or drink? Don't worry about such things. He says this in verse 30. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Then he says the statement that we've all heard and we've all quoted. It's found also in Matthew 6.33. This is in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. You want to be a spiritual billionaire? Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's great pleasure or happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holds. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it or no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart also will be. I believe that generosity is the antidote to greed. 
Generosity is part of the sharpening of your spiritual sword to take out the monster of greed in your life. Generosity is one of the greatest values and attributes we can live from as kingdom people. We have to guard it. We have to protect it. We have to watch our hearts, pay attention to our motivations, constantly evaluate our why, asking ourselves, why do we buy what we buy, spend what we spend? But remember, it's not about what someone has or someone doesn't have. It's not, you know, because this, this can get into this place, well, well that is, can I have desires? Of course you can. Can I desire a Rolls Royce? Of course you can. Can I desire a 1991 golden topaz? Of course you can. Because that was what I used to have. Of course you can. You can desire. There's, there's, no, there's no limit on what you can desire. Just there's always a question. The question is, why? Well, hey, I'm called to drive around presidents. I'm called around to, to drive around dignitaries. I'm called to drive around, you know, high-profile business people and minister to them. And that's unfortunately what, you know, kind of needs to happen. And so, okay, eh, Rolls-Royce makes sense, maybe. What's the motivation? What's the motivation? Why? What's your why? Because then we have this whole concept of contentment and being content with what we have, right? Paul said, I've learned to be content with whatever I've had. I've been naked. I've been fully clothed. I've been hungry. I've been fully fed. And in every situation, I've given thanks, and I've been content no matter what happens. So the wrestle is, is how do we find contentment, be content in the midst of still having desire and vision for more? Because having desire and vision for more is not bad. Once again, it's the why, What's driving all of it? Is it self or is it generosity? Now, of course, you have to invest in yourself. I would, heck, I would not want a brain surgeon to operate on me that didn't invest in himself to go to school to know how to operate on a brain. Like, they're, 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 even those investments to self are a part of generosity, saving people's lives. You have to do that. And even Psalms 37 verse 4, I mean, says this. He says, you take delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So, you know, who's to say what's wrong and what's right to desire? I mean, only really you know in the end. Because the worldly definition of greed, really, as the Webster's Dictionary defines it, is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something, like money, than is needed. WordNet, which was a project at Princeton University, defines greed as an excessive desire to acquire or possess more than one needs or deserves. But the question, this is problematic because the question is who defines what you need and who defines what you deserve? Who can define that? My needs may not be your needs. What I deserve may not be what you deserve. I don't know. How do you define that? Do I, do I deserve to drive around a 20-year-old van that's rusting out? I don't know. I'm not going to answer that question. Some people might think I do as a pastor. That's actually a legit thing. People think that. Now, I'm not saying anybody would, in here would think that. Uh, whatever. I don't care. If I had a nice car, I wouldn't care what anybody thought. Well, unless it was like a Rolls Royce, then I'd probably hide it because I'd feel... <laughs> but like, who defines what one deserves? Like, do you deserve a big house and you deserve a small house? And why? And how do you measure greed then? People make these judgments on the rich only. Poor people make high-level judgments on rich people 
that they're just greedy. Maybe you are, and you're self-projecting. Maybe that's why you're stuck. You're just greedy for the wrong things. And same with the rich. They might judge the poor people, say the same thing. At the end of the day, only you would be able to judge your own motivation for why you want something or don't want something. And the only way you're going to overcome greed is to starve it out by not letting greed lead and be generous in every area of your life. Start with your time. Start with your money. Start with relationships. Start with stewarding what God has given you to bless other people. Are you hearing this this morning? We need to wrestle against this thing. I want to just, as we close here, I'm just going to invite the, the team back up. And I, I, like I said, I didn't even get into like a quarter of my message. But I felt like I shared what I needed to share this morning. And I feel like God is exposing and breaking through some mindsets that maybe we don't even realize we have of greed. Because greed, let me just say this, greed One of the ways that greed is masked is by fear. So when you don't trust God in certain areas of generosity because of fear, it's actually a mask for greed on the inside. I didn't even get into the whole Luciferian part of this message, which, talk, which getting into the scripture in Isaiah and Ezekiel about Lucifer and his origin story that many don't even really realize and his desire for more, his desire to be like God. Like, this, the same devil of greed that we're fighting today is the same devil in the garden tempting Adam and Eve. The same devil that said to Adam and Eve, hey, look at that tree. You should desire this. It's beyond what you're supposed to desire, and you're going to get something you don't have that you shouldn't have, but you should desire it. Look how good it looks. Greed at the very core of the fall of humanity, was present. She saw the tree, and it was desirable to make one wise, the word says. It was desirable to make one wise. It looked beautiful. But at the core, it was greed that was driving it. Because why? Because the devil convinced her, God knows that you'll just be like him if you eat off that tree. You were never destined or created to know evil. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You were only created to know good. The devil comes and says, hey, you can know more than what you were created for. You can get more. Go after it. It looks good. It's going to taste good. That's what the world does, right? It's like you weren't destined for this, but go after it. Do it. Buy that new thing. Get into more debt. Be more irresponsible because of social status or whatever, or you're just hungry, to, you're hungry to be something that you're not destined to be. God will never bless who you pretend to be. He wants to bless who you are because he loves you the way that you are. I want you to stand up with me. Just in worship, just as we're going to, I don't know how we're going to flow this, but I want to do something just in worship if we can together real quick, and we're just going to go there, and we're going to break, I'm going to say it like this, we're going to pierce the skin this morning of this monster of greed in our life, and maybe you have to step out and do something you haven't done before, 
Maybe God's already been speaking to you about something to do with your finances, your relationships, your time. I don't know what it is. And you've been holding back. And you know you've been holding back for fear. You won't have enough time. You won't have enough money. You won't have enough emotional equity left at the end of the day for that relationship. That per- You've been holding back. Fear, once again, is a mask for greed. Because greed also looks like selfishness. And when you withhold from God out of fear, you are acting in selfishness. And I don't want, I'm trying to be heavy on this. I, I'm not saying that I'm a super hero on all this either. Like, we're all in this together. And we all have, it was my dream, actually. So we're all stabbing this thing together in the spirit. We're all piercing the skin of greed in the spirit together today. Can we just lift our hands? Maybe you're in this room and you've never let Jesus into your life. You don't know what would happen if you were to die today. I just want to give you some hope that Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead on the third day, you will be saved. He's forgiven you past, present, and future. On the cross, he said, it is finished. All you have to do is let him in, surrender your life. Maybe that's you this morning. You've never said yes. You've never invited him into your journey, into your world. I want to give you an opportunity all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I want you into my life. I want you to lead my life. I want you to take me to where you have for me in this life. It's a decision, but really it's a lifestyle. It's a relationship that has to begin. And maybe that's you this morning. I just encourage you in your heart right now, just let him in. Just say, Jesus, I'm letting you in. I'm letting you in. I don't know what this means. I'm letting you in. I receive your forgiveness. This is the first step because you need, you need him to deal with this thing. You need him to fight some of these spiritual battles. And I want us to all right now, in the spirit, right now, just put your hands up just as a point of surrender. God, we just say this. I'm going to st- make some statements over us as a house this morning that, God, this will be a season that individuals standing today with their hands raised will starve out some of that greed. That greed will no longer lead in Jesus' name. That in this in this room, that greed will begin to be pierced in our life. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our skills, our relationships. I don't know what it is, God, but whatever we've been holding or withholding back, I pray that today, God, you would, you would initiate movement in our lives in Jesus' name. Initiate movement, God, to break through where we've been withholding, to break through fear, to break through fear, to break through timidity, God, to break through what if, and what if I do this, and this happens, God, all the what ifs, God, we throw those what ifs out the door, and today, God, we just say that today, 